Hey, are you looking to buy a new car? Are you stuck in a high-rate loan and looking to refinance? Well, UK Federal Credit Union can help. Right now, UK Federal Credit Union has auto loan rates as low as 2.99% APR. Apply for an auto loan online at UKFCU.org or in person at the dealership. Get your dream car today at UK Federal Credit Union. UK Federal Credit Union. It's banking only better. Annual percentage rate, member qualification supply, rate of subject credit approval, subject change. For full disclosure, visit UKFCU.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome into episode 90 of the Source of Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today I'm happy to be joined once again by the Sean Smith of the Go Big Blue Country. How the heck are you? Doing well, Jack. How are you? I'm doing all right. Had some uh, some family stuff going on and the that's why part of the reason why we didn't have like a breaking news episode yesterday afternoon after Devin Askew announced that he was leaving the program. So uh, apologize for the slight de- delay, but one day later, it's it's all right. No, no big deal. It, it allowed us to kind of gather our thoughts a little bit more and 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 really give you guys the best quality podcasts and information that you could possibly dream of. We have a ton to talk about outside. You know, obviously the big news is. Devin Askew announcing that he's retur- he's leaving the program, uh, but we have Justin Powell announcing that he's going to Tennessee. Some Isaiah Jackson buzz, him hanging out hanging out with the team, not really seeming like a, a player in a rush to leave the program. Davion Mintz updates, Keon Brooks, Walker Kessler, Sky Clark, Marcus Carr, uh, and then kind of an overarching theme of this show is going to be. What John Calipari, he went on ESPN during the, the preview of the Final Four, I believe, Saturday afternoon, and they were kind of asking him questions about the day-to-day stuff and, and how he's feeling and all that, and they asked him about uh, – he said, I've got to tell you guys, a lot of people had fun at our expense and celebrated. I'm ready to get going. It can't come fast enough now. Kind of put – you know, getting swaggy Cal, chip on his shoulder Cal back. So we have – an absolute ton to talk about, but obviously the biggest news that we have to address first and foremost is the news that Devin Askew is gone. And this comes after um, just a couple days after the season ended, I reached out to his dad who has always been, I've said on the show uh, several times that he's always been so good about getting back to us and, uh, you know, answering phone calls and, you know, how he's doing, how's, how's Devin's doing all that sort of stuff. And, uh, Right after the season ended, he I reached out to him and asked, you know, what are, what are your plans for next season? How are things going? And and he said, no, nope, we're locked in. We're we're ready to go. We want all these kids to come back. We have a you know chip on our shoulder. We're ready to to get rolling for next season. You know, saying all of the right things. Um, so I put that report out there, and and you know it was met with like, oh sweet, you know, good for him. Glad he could. Glad he knows that he's you know a work in progress. Knows that there's a lot to be done this offseason leading up to next season. Um, you know, glad to have him locked in for next season, blah, 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 blah. So it kind of started out fine and just kind of everybody just assuming that that was the final decision, everything's good to go. But, Sean, there was a span of about two weeks where there were more rumors seemingly breaking by the day that this was not a final decision and if anything we we mentioned this on last week's show that it wasn't that maybe he was wanting to come back and that it was a done deal on his end that he wanted to but that Cal hadn't even had his end of year meetings with the players yet and that it was that there was still a lot in the air a lot up in the air about these final decisions and that maybe uh, because the player might want to come back or the family might want to come back that it might not be a, a mutual decision to make that happen. So 
fast forward less than a month, right at a month, and Devin Askew has now put his name in the transfer portal and exploring his options. So what are your immediate thoughts on his decision and just kind of what feels like a very uh, uh, back and forth last couple of weeks that leading up to this moment? Not surprised, honestly. I, I, when I, I said that, I think the last episode we recorded, I was talking about how last year – when Keon Brooks didn't even enter his name into the draft. And when he just, when he came back, they got a full press release with quotes from him and Cal. Mm -hmm. We hadn't had that with any of the four ask you topping uh, who else? Lord have mercy. I haven't for, Dante, where Dante Allen, Dante Allen. So those four, the report reportedly the ones that have either said they're coming back or parent. And in Askew's case, it was his father. I just looked at it, Jack, that, it was too soon. Like, I think all of it was too soon because we didn't know which direction that John Calipari and the staff was going to go with this roster. And I don't think that Devin wanted to leave Kentucky. I really don't. I don't think that Devin Askew woke up yesterday morning and was like, you know what? I really want to leave Kentucky. I think it just came down to it when you look at what's coming in and what they're wanting to do. I'm sure that they met with Cal and had discussions and Cal just was probably transparent with what the plan is Probably didn't say, Devin, you don't have a place in this program. Mm -hmm. But after conversations, then you kind of sit and look and be like, okay, if, if I have to move off the ball, am I going to play over Kellen Grady? Am I going to play over Dante Allen? Am I going to play over Davion Mintz if Mintz does come back? I think that that's what ended up doing it. And I, I just felt like that weeks ago when you have four guys who have, have either said or someone else has said they're coming back, and then Jimmy Docks, I keep going back to him saying that that night against Ole Miss where they're going to add seven to eight new guys. It just didn't make any sense. There had to be some more attrition other than just NBA decisions. And I'm still not convinced that it's, that it's not done. Like I still – if Kentucky is actively still wanting to add a big, like, you know, Kyle Tucker has, has mentioned that, I know, and, and some stuff. And, and I've seen it, obviously, Walker Kessler and, you know, those reports, which means they're obviously pursuing that, Jack. And then the same thing with the backcourt. I could see Mintz and a guard being added. That's okay because now you can see a, a path there with Nolan Hickman, Kellen Grady, Dante Allen. There, there's room to make that work there because you have some interchangeable pieces. But when you look at the front court, we still don't have a decision from Keon Brooks. Isaiah Jackson, what's going on there? We don't know. If they add a big, I could see another person deciding here in a week or so when they look at this roster, like, you know what? Maybe maybe I should look at other options. Yeah, and I, keep, I just keep going back to going back to, to Devin Askew's decision. And we have never seen Cal as open and honest about point guard play or any position, really, about simply not being good enough at any individual position. Well, frankly, because UK hasn't been as, as bad at any individual position as they were at point guard this past season. But Cal... I mean, I mean, I pulled up one of his quotes. He said, here's how I want Devin to play, so you all know. I don't want him to have a lot of dribbles. I want him to get it up and get away from the ball. The reason I like that is because away from the ball, he can make plays and he can make shots. On the ball where everyone is watching him, he's not effective. He's just not. Like, we have never seen Coach Cal be that blunt and that openly honest about – any player on his roster, you know, and, and that's – it's constructive criticism. It's, it's not him saying this player sucks, we need to get the ball out of his hands, send him to the bench. You know, that, that's just saying he's a good player. We love what he brings to the table in terms of work ethic. We love his competitive nature. We love his, you know, leadership qualities. We love all these things. But let's face it, facts are facts. He is not effective in this way. We need to find out ways to put him in positions to succeed. So they tried all this last season. You know, at the end of the season, they were, uh, you, you know, they, they tried the, the Terrence Clark experiment to start the year, Davion Mintz shifting over to the point guard position late in the year. It was just very clear that they were finding, tweaking and, and tooling at any possible way to, to make Devin Askey more effective. And uh, for a guy that was averaging almost 30 minutes a game, only averaging 6.5 points, 34% shooting, 27% from three, uh, 2.9 assists, 2.6 rebounds. It, it's just, it, it just, it just didn't cut it. And I think it was very clear after the season how Cal 
both openly said we got to improve at the point guard position and how he has reached out to seemingly every single high-level point guard on the transfer market and at the high school level basically recruiting over ask you and, and it's it's hard to be that blunt you know be that blunt about it and that honest about it but facts are facts Cal has been recruiting over Devin Askew for the last three months two months so when you're when you're Devin when you're in Devin's shoes yes there's very likely a, a roster spot for him next season yeah. but do you want to play behind a Marcus Carr and a Davion Mintz and a Kellen Grady and a Dante Allen as that fifth guard or in Nolan Hickman, Nolan Hickman, maybe fifth or sixth guard option on the roster. No. And, and I don't blame him on his end. And it was, it was probably a mutual conversation. Like Cal looked the same. Look, we need to have a conversation. This is what your role is going to be next season. If you're comfortable with that, take it. We'd love to have you back, but facts are facts and he probably looked at it and said you know what I think it might be my best interest to look elsewhere that's why I was saying that I don't think that Devin asked you look he's told you he's told me I'm different he told UK media you know I'm different he he didn't want to be the next west coast transfer Jack he didn't but when it came down to it and you look at the situation do you want to really sit there and try to prove someone wrong and damage your career or do you want to do what's best for you and I think that this is the best move for Devin Askew I honestly, I think it's the best move for Kentucky, and and I'm not and I'm not I'm not doing this whole thing where we talk about where you want to have roster continuity. We, we've talked about that so much on the show. I'm I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, it's get rid of him, like get him out of here. He wasn't good enough, but sometimes just situations and fits don't work out, and I think that's what happened here. I I'm not trying to hammer on him, Jack. I just don't think that he was the caliber point guard that John Calipari's good Kentucky teams have. He didn't fit. How many times last year did you watch where Devin couldn't get the ball by someone or he had the ball late in the clock, seven, eight seconds? You know that possession's going to end with him picking his dribble up, killing his dribble 20, 21 feet from the basket and being in no man's land. But I think this is a move that it sets Devin up to have some success somewhere else. Uh, Quad A Green, I, I compare it to something like that. Quad A got moved off the ball. And then what happened? So let's say that Devin Askew would have decided to go through the summer, Jack, and then he gets moved off the ball, and we're looking up in December next year, and we've got a mid-year transfer. Mm-hmm. That might have been exactly what happened had he come back to Kentucky. And I just think that this is best for both parties. Uh, I hope Devin has a great career wherever he goes. Like I said, his dad, Brian, has talked to us multiple times, Jack. And that's the thing that makes the job hard is when you build these relationships with families you want to see it work out, but sometimes it's not what's best for the player. And I think that um, John Calpair obviously had conversations, and I think that both sides looked and said, okay, this is what's best. And you don't, you don't want to see kids transfer, but it's a part of it. And here's the benefit of the transfer portal. He can go play somewhere else next year right away when this transfer rule goes in place. And I, I, this was not a – I to an extent, I agree that I think the West Coast – look just isn't working for Kentucky right now they need to go away from it I think they need to they need to go away from it but this isn't like a Johnny Juzang situation where he was homesick and you know need to do that every time I talked to I mean Brian during the season moved out to Lexington to be there in case you know Devin needed something you know he he lived practically right off campus in an Airbnb for the last couple weeks just to uh, you know kind of I believe starting in conference play throughout the rest of the season. And he would just go, you know, play golf and hang out and he'd just be kind of around just in case Devin needed him. They are, you know, they, they like the beach and they like the West coast and all that stuff. But Devin left California because he wanted to leave California. He was Mm -hmm. never, he, he, he said over and over again, I'm not a West coast kid. I have an East coast mindset. I'm kind of that physical I think when Cal recruited Devin, they thought that he would be the next, like, Jalen Brunson, where they knew that he was very different. He wasn't a guy that that just beat anybody off the dribble and was just this uh, elite playmaker and all that. You know, he he wasn't the typical Cal point guard, but they thought, man, this kid is such a winner and he's such a competitor that those type of point guards win national championships – 
Jalen Bronson was the the sole figure, the the leader of that Villanova team during their run, and and the, you know just go down the list. They there are so many elite point guards that aren't that that are different than what Cal usually brings in. So he saw that and thought, man. It's not it's not like I the type of player I usually bring in, but man, if we could get him to work in this system and and you know this this was never supposed to unfold the way it did. It, it Devin was supposed to be a complimentary piece to BJ Boston and Terrence Clark from day one. They brought him in to be the facilitator and the stable force of the point guard position, while Terrence Clark and BJ Boston ate that they that they would go out and be the twenty point per game scorers and. Uh, that he was, you know, Devin was supposed to be a an eight, eight and five type guy where he could go in and score when they need him to, but be a strong distributor, rebound the ball, push the ball up the floor, that that sort of thing. And because the two stars on the team weren't stars, Devin had to do more than was asked of him going into it. He was way too young, not ready to take over the position that he did, and that's why we got in the situation. And I'll, I'll say this too. I don't know how I, I came across this on Twitter, but Matt's, you know, Matt Jones' tweet from October 21st. So if I'm not mistaken, this was after Olivier Saar got ruled eligible. I think that was around that. And and Matt was right. Like we all thought what Matt tweeted. Listen to this. This is October 21st, 2020. Matt says Kentucky now has three legitimate potential stars on the team with Olivier Saar, B.J. Boston, and Terrence Clark. And then he goes, I think you need three to be a title contender. Throw, on, throw in Keon Brooks, Davion Mintz, Isaiah Jackson, and Devin Askew, et cetera, and this team is loaded with potential. Mm-hmm. Their two best players came out of the bottom half of that tweet. Isaiah Jackson, Davion Mintz. Yep. The other three, just we assumed. You know what they say about assuming, right? Makes an ass, Make ass out of you and me. <laughs> so yep. that's uh, – I think we all fell into that. And I just don't think that anyone was kind of set up for success off this team. I mean, Devin Askew might go out and be a better player somewhere else. But I think he will. But I will say that I don't think this is going to turn into a Johnny Juzang situation, though. No. I, I like to where you look up and Johnny's dropping 27-28 in the Final Four and Kentucky fans are sitting there thinking, damn. You know, I, I don't think that that's what will happen. Did you think when we were sitting at Florida a year ago that we would look up and Johnny Juzang would be playing in the Final Four on another roster? So can I tell you uh, a little bit of scoop from this last summer that uh, definitely was not a great look for the U.K. coaching staff? So uh, this is just between us. This is just us two talking. No, no, nothing, not a big deal at all. Uh, in one of my off-season conversations with somebody close to the program, they said, mark my words, Johnny Juzang would have played more minutes at Kentucky than he would have than he will at UCLA next season. How'd that work out? Oops. How'd that work out? Not very good. If, had they won – had they – had Jalen Suggs not hit that half-court heave and, you know, anything could happen in the championship game. I mean, I don't think we all – any of us expected Baylor to just absolutely crush Gonzaga. You know, anything could happen. But, goodness gracious, had UCLA won that, he would have he would have won Final Four most outstanding player. He would have – he already won region player of the year in, in, in UCLA's region. So, he already had that up his sleeve. But – He's a. Uh, he went from unknown, zero chance. He's drafted last off season to he might be a first round pick. I don't think he's but, going to be, but he's at least in that conversation now. Shoot, I'd, I'd argue that Johnny Juzang's draft stock is higher than BJ Boston's right now. It should be. Like how he how showed that, that he happen? can make tough shots and he could be lean, you know, leaned on to carry that. But I, I will say this: I'm not going to hammer John Calipari for the Johnny Juzang situation. No. Because one, it was homesick, and two, who was he going to play over? Nobody. Was he supposed to play over Emmanuel quickly and Tyrese Maxey last year? The only argument I would have made was when Ashton Higgins was going haywire a few times, you could have slid Maxey or quickly to the one and played Johnny a few more minutes, but it wasn't going to change in him play 25 to 30 minutes a game. And then you, how can you argue with Cal when you have B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark coming in that you think are going to be stars 
Every, it was just one of those things, Jack. It is what it is. It happens everywhere. It's just magnified when it happens at UK. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, yeah, look what happened with Jamal but Baker. He leaves and What was that? Good for that kid, though. Good for Johnny. Yeah. I was pulling for Johnny every step of the way. Every shot that he hit, I was like, yeah, good shot, kid. Good shot. Yeah. I was, I was hyped for Johnny because that kid, that is BBN all the way through. He is still a – He's still a former Kentucky. I I don't see his situations any different than rooting for Tyler Hero in the NBA. That's a kid. He's a former UK player that was a great kid. He never. That's a kid that there was talk in December, just like a year or a month, month and a half after the season started, that his bags were packed and he was going to be transferring at the end of the season. I was frankly shocked that he even made it past the the winter semester. I thought that he was going to be gone by January. He held through. He, you know, he, you know, this very very similar situation to Cameron Fletcher. Kind of held through. Everybody knew the inevitable was 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 going to happen. He was going to end up being, you know, leaving, but he stayed the, you know, stayed the course, fought through had some bright moments where at least had some reason to think about potentially coming back, but then realized, you know what? I'm too far away from home. I, I've, uh, you know, think, think of that awesome Final Four story when his brother Christian flew in from Vietnam to come see him in the Final Four. I mean, he, that's a, that's a tight-knit family. He was so emotional when, when his brother flew in to see him. And, it, you know, it, it, just, it just happened. It happened that way. I don't blame him at all. I don't blame Cameron Fletcher for transferring the way he did. I don't blame Devin Askew for transferring the way he did. It's life. But it's also – it's just one of those – hindsight is 2020 it's just it's just when you look at it now knowing what you know now it's just like goodness gracious could we have used Johnny Juzang and before we move on to the next topic I I do want to ask you tell me why watching Johnny Juzang play in this in, in the final four and you know their big run throughout the tournament why can Dante Allen not be what Johnny Juzang is for UCLA give me a reason because every time I watched Johnny play, every every shot he took, every time they you know they they ran plays for him and and threw actions at him, every single time I said that is something Dante Allen can do at Kentucky. Maybe not next year, but in his Kentucky career, that is who Dante Allen could become. Yeah, I didn't know that Johnny had the package off the bounce that he showed at UCLA this season. I I think that. That's the problem when it comes down to it. I think that sometimes we pigeonhole these guys into doing one thing. Yeah. We pigeonhole Jamal Baker into being just a shooter. We pigeonhole Johnny Juzang into being just a shooter. That's what I hope Cal doesn't do with Kellen Grady. I hope that that's not just a thing that Kentucky does where he he's the shooter. That's why you got him. Uh, with Dante, obviously, can stroke it from outside. He has the length. He has the the wingspan. I think he could end up being a crafty scorer. I really do. You saw some of that in the SEC tournament coming off some of those curls and finishing 14, 13 feet. Uh, Johnny just really – the will to win that he had in that NCAA tournament and just the shots that he took, that is something I did not know was just laying dormant inside Johnny Juzang when he was at Kentucky. But I'll also say this. Had he stayed at Kentucky, this isn't a knock on Cal. The shots that Johnny took, he wouldn't have been able to take at UK. Dante got some of those shots in his big in his three games where he lit it up, and part of that reason is Bruiser Flint took over in the end of the game, and and just the situation kind of called for it. But I completely agree with you. It's just like, man, I, I just wish we could. It, we can't have our key, have our cake and eat it too. Like it's it. You can't. It, it's t- It's it's such. A, it's so easy to to look back and be like, well, wish wish we could do with Johnny what he's doing at UCLA. We wish we had the freedom. It's just. And we, I said he should have played more, but who? Like I said, who's he going to play over off that? Nobody, like you, there's no. You can't. Regardless of what you argue with the situation, and nobody wins. Yeah. Johnny ended up benefiting from what he did. He went. He got to go home. His family was there. And great family, great kid, great success story. John Calipari, class act that he always is, Jack. Congratulates. I mean, UCLA is the the team that Kentucky's been chasing for titles. Congratulates Johnny, mm-hmm. you know, on his success, leading Doesn't them to the Final it. Four. But 
just looking at it now, when you look at next year, I know Jeff Borzello came out with his way too early top 25 rankings that he always does. I think he had UCLA top five, if I'm not mistaken. That's with Johnny Juicing back. I think Kentucky was around – I can't remember if it was 15, I think, 16. 19, somewhere through there. I'm making a prediction now. If Kentucky adds an elite guard in the transfer portal, like I think they're going to do, Davion Mintz comes back, I think Kentucky will be top 10 in those preseason rankings by the time we get to, to May. I completely agree. All right. Let's speaking of that high level guard and who they could add to get to that, to that level. Can I add one more thing? Absolutely. I'm sorry. I meant to add this. Derek mentioned this yesterday to me and I thought he made a very good point. I want your thoughts on it. Had Devin Askew returned, what would it have meant for Dante Allen? Do you think Cal would have committed to playing Askew over Dante? Yes. Absolutely. So, and who would you rather have if you're having to play someone off the ball? Dante Allen. You know my answer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, in a, in a sense, yes, I think Derek made a really good point. I thought that that was spot on with it because I do think that this helps. Not that Dante couldn't have played, but I just think it kind of gives those pieces, Kellen Grady, Dante Allen, the freedom off the ball now. That's why it didn't make sense if they would have added Justin Powell. Because it still didn't. Because now we're moving to that issue. If they had added Justin Powell with Kellen Grady, Dante Allen, Dave Yomitz, it still didn't fix the one issue that was just glaring. They did not have a point guard that could make life easy on anyone. What a segue! What a segue! Because that's exactly where we were going next. Justin Powell commits to Tennessee, and the Big Blue Nation, as expected, uh, there's an uproar. Why can't we get the Kentucky kid? You just didn't want another Kentucky kid. Um, you know, those, those gripes kind of, you know, it, it's a, it's a vocal minority. I mean, it wasn't ever, a lot of people that understand the situation knew that that wasn't the right fit for what Kentucky needed. I, I always saw Justin Powell as the, when Devin Askew, when it appeared Devin Askew was returning, that it was a one or the other type thing that you could not have both Devin Askew and Justin Powell on the roster. The only time I ever saw that as a very realistic option was when it, you know, when it had Devin Askew announced his transfer earlier and Justin Powell was ready to come in and be and take over that Devin Askew role. Here's the issue talking to people behind the scenes and throughout his recruitment and people that were very, very comfortable in his recruitment and knew the ins and outs of it. He was not, he does not want to come in and be Justin Powell was never going to come in and be a bench role player, come in and average 15 minutes a game and, you know, get five shots a game. That's not who Justin Powell left Auburn because he wanted to be a star somewhere else. And he knew that there was going to be a, there were going to be a lot of big name schools coming after him to give him that role. Tennessee being one of them, uh, you know, there were a bunch of, you know, local programs that wanted him and, and even, you know, high majors that were very interested in him. And, and I think that was kind of the, I said this on last week's podcast, I said, I think by the end of the day, there's going to be, I don't even know if Justin Powell's going to be a top 10 transfer on the market. I don't even know. If, I don't know if he's going to be top five. I don't know if he's going to be top 10, whatever it is. I think there's going to be better point, true point guard options for Kentucky on the table when it comes time for a decision. And, and, and Cal can't miss. He, he has to get selective with this and, and get the, the perfect fit for his roster. And I just never thought Justin Powell was that perfect fit. I said that on the show over and over again, you know, said he would be a, a welcome addition if Cal wants to bring him in and use him in a very specific role as a 40% three-point shooter, you know, catch and shoot off ball, some, you know, kind of, if he was going to come in and take over Davion Mintz's role from last year, I would have been okay with that. But Justin Powell wanted to come in and be the lead guard. He wanted to be the, the, the star of the show and be a one and done. There was so much speculation that he wanted to come in, be a one year player, kind of raise his draft stock in a single year and, and be a, a, a draft, a first round draft pick next season. I don't know if he was going to do that at Kentucky. And I, I think Cal knew that. I think 
Um, you know, there were some rumblings that Louisville was kind of turned off by that approach too, that, that he was kind of wanting to be that. And, and I mean, I don't blame him. Good for him. I mean, he's confident in his abilities. He's, he wanted to go somewhere where he could show off his skills. That's not, that's no fault to him, but I just don't think that was ever the right fit for Kentucky. And I think it was, it, it ended up working out in UK's favor the way it did. Uh, he might kill Kentucky, you know, the two times that UK played them <laughs> against Tennessee. He might be the next Chris Lofton. You know, there are fans saying that too, but that's the fear, right? Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, anytime but, a kid picks someone else, it's a, <laughs> that's the fear yeah. if you're a UK fan. But what would, it have, what would it have fixed if that was all that they added? Sure. If they get Davion Mintz back, you, you saw uh, that Mintz could run the point. Nolan Hickman coming in as a freshman. I just think that John Calipari is not going to put himself in a situation where he does not know what he has at point guard ever again. Right. You remember, you remember when the 2013 season happened? I mean, obviously, I think people kind of tried to erase that, but now I think it's a fond memory considering how this one ended. But Ah, <laughs> uh, Nerland Noel. Ole the Man. one thing that Cal said <laughs> is he would never be held hostage again or he would never – like some of the things that were wrong with that roster, you know, he kind of vowed to never let happen again. Said he'd never be held hostage by by any player ever again. Yeah. And then the point guard situation just wasn't good. Well, this one wasn't very good either. But I just think that when it went when it came down to it, you get caught in these situations as a coaching staff. And when you're at a place like Kentucky where it's constant turnover after turnover, you do have guys that you recruit that when they're there as freshmen, you see junior year. And then they turn into an Emmanuel quickly as a sophomore, and then they're out the door ready to be a pro. I think those situations kind of hurt because I do think that they looked at Emmanuel maybe after that freshman year and thought, hey, that's a guy you're going to have in your backcourt as a junior. No, not so fast, my friend, because that, that dude improved to the point. Then it's Devin Askew. Then you got Ashton Higgins goes out the door. And it's just Devin Askew, right? And what was the thing that we talked about with Devin Askew? They were concerned about it. That's why they went and got Davion Mintz. Yep. John Calipari is not going to be concerned again. He will make sure there's more than just option one and option two. Like there's going to be the primary guy that's your primary ball handler and then your other two pieces, one or two, that could come over and play the point. Let Kellen Grady, Dante Allen do their thing on the perimeter. Mintz be a guy that could float, play the one, play the two. But you give me a lineup next year – that has Marcus Carr running the one. Let's say Mintz comes back, plays the two. You got Grady. I like it. I, I like what Kentucky's got going on when you add Shoeboy and all these pieces. Now you just have to kind of figure out who plays the four. What does Cal do with six, seven, eight on his bench? Cal's best teams don't get the nine. They get to seven, maybe eight. That's what I'm looking for. Who are his seven to eight guys? Well, sticking at that position, you mentioned Marcus Carr. He's a (laughs) – Marcus Carr is a very, I think, polarizing prospect because his talent is undeniable. 19-point-per-game scorer. uh, I mean, had numerous 20, 30, 40-point games in Minnesota. Um, You talk to my cousin up in Minnesota. He's the best man at my wedding. Absolutely obsessed with Marcus Carr. Thinks that he just absolutely swears by him. Says he's a breath of fresh air. Loved having him in the program. Breaks my heart he's leaving Minnesota. Uh, you know, said said that he wishes that Minnesota kept Richard Pitino, Richard Patino for one more season because he wanted Marcus Carr back for another year. That's how much he he enjoyed that. Obviously, that's a Minnesota fan talking about the Minnesota Golden Gophers, not Kentucky, going through what Kentucky just went through and needing a can't-miss prospect at that position. He's a 38% shooter from from the field. I think he shot 32% from three. But he is one of those high-risk, high-reward type players, kind of like Davion Mintz this past year. He is a rich man's version of Davion Mintz, I think, which I think it's a, it's a compliment to Davion Mintz because we know what value he brought to the program this past season and I think it's a compliment for Marcus Carr too that's a kid that he is capable of going out there on any given night and putting up 30 points and that's something that Kentucky just simply did not have on their roster this season and with Kellen Grady in the roster and with you know knowing that you have you know the the possibility of Davion Mintz coming back as well knowing you have a kind of a stable force in and Nolan Hickman at the point guard position and knowing we'll get into the Isaiah Jackson thing here in a minute. There's some 
stuff going on there that might make you think that he might come back. But uh, Keon Brooks, depending on how that unfolds, and Oscar Shibway, who you know is going to be your anchor, your tank in the middle. Mm-hmm. It feels like this roster could compl- could could complement a Marcus Carr at point guard very, very well. Just a kind of an erratic, kind of all over the place, but just flat out professional bucket getter. I like the fit. I do. I, the, he is a flawed basketball player, but 19, five and five a game is, I mean, there's a reason that he's considered the, the, the prize, the, the crown jewel of this, this transfer class. So I would personally go for it, but Sean, I understand if there are fans out there that look at his numbers and go 38% overall, uh, 32% from three. Yeah. I, that's not going to cut it here. I get it, but at the same time, I, I think that's a risk reward situation that you just gotta, you just gotta take the take the flaws that come with the absolute great success that come with players like Marcus Carr. It's it's one of those things like it's not John Wall, it's not De'Aaron Fox, it's not that elite level point guard, but it's an upgrade from what they had mm-hmm. at the position. If if that's who they get, sure, I, I'd love to see the the overall shooting percentage be higher, especially from two. When you're talking 41, 42%, I like to see that climb a little. But talking about a guy who over 400 assists in his career, well over 1,000 points in his career, you throw in Kellen Grady, who's got scored over 2,000 points in his career, you start to talk about experience. And, and sure, it, it's going to be a new situation. Let's say they do get Carr. Sure, it'll be new. It'll be new for everyone that's transferring in. But I keep coming back that you're removed from that AAU style of play. You've got two guys who've been in programs, Oscar Shubway, or sorry, Shibway. I've been saying Shubway, but it was, they did finally put it out yesterday that it is Shibway. Yep, confirmed. So you got pieces there that have been removed from the AAU circuit, which I think is so vital. And those, those guys transition. You saw what Davion Mintz did this year and how the, smooth the transition was to playing in a style and playing at Kentucky and, and being a, a team-first guy. I think that's the big thing. And then if you get to a point to where you can bring Nolan Hickman off the bench, uh, let's say Dante Allen comes off the bench, I start to like what Kentucky's got going on in their backcourt. If their backcourt includes Davion Mintz, Marcus Carr, and then you got Kellen Grady. That's three veteran, experienced pieces who have played a lot of college basketball and then you throw in Shibway, four pieces there. Damian Collins, how does he fit? I really like what Kentucky's roster might look like here in about two to three weeks. Third team, all Big Ten, 30, point, 30, more, 30 points or more four times a season, finished with 35 points in the season opener against Green Bay, 32 against St. Louis, 30 against Iowa, who was a national title contender this year, and 41 against Nebraska, um, 10 games this year with at least three, three made three-pointers. So he is a high-quantity high shooter that just I – mean, I mean, <laughs> you, he's going to have games. He's going to have a, a two-for-eight, two-for-nine, two-for-ten type game from three where he just you know kind of frustrates you but Davion Mins had those games where he just you know he's going to sh- try to shoot himself out of kind of like a, a, a Malik Monk where when Malik went cold it didn't matter because he was going to try to shoot himself out of that cold slump whether you liked it or not that's just shoot or shoot I mean that's just kind of how how he is so I, I understand the concern but I think with the pieces like you said on this roster the veteran talents this isn't if it were Marcus Carr, B.J. Boston, and Terrence Clark going into the year, I would say I, I would take a very, very strong second look at that. I do not know if that's going to work, just knowing what they all bring to the table and, you know, just that. he It's like he does bring that AAU style of play, but with the college basketball expertise and veteran leadership where he can know how to, how to reel it in. When B.J. Boston was just going on his shooting streaks and, and trying to shoot himself out of slumps, he just didn't, didn't know when to say when. Marcus Carr is a guy that would absolutely know when, uh, when to kind of reel things back in and say, all right, I need to kind of go, go with my secondary options or whatever. It's very interesting. I, 
I would be a fan of that move. And I think the only reason why we're talking about it in such, such depth is because Travis Brano of 247 Sports put out a uh, report the other day uh, following Trevor Keel's commitment to Duke kind of a what's next for each of these programs, the final, the finalist for Trevor Keels, and specifically mentioned Marcus Carr as a, uh, as a very strong, legitimate option for Kentucky, depending on how this draft – he has his name in the draft right now. Uh, very, very possibly could pull his name out. So he, he mentioned that as a strong possibility to, to watch out for. And then Matt on the radio show this morning uh, got a, a random – texter and from the text machine that uh, apparently had the Kellen Grady scoop a week before it happened uh, several of the other big name you know injuries and stuff like that that happened throughout the season said that Marcus Carr was going to be a wildcat by next Tuesday so a week from today so I have no idea if that's true I know that you know you talk to people around the program and they're just kind of like yeah we got some things in the works we're you know kind of working uh, back channels we're trying to figure out this stuff they, they have big plans for this next season, but aren't willing to say who or what or when. So I think that's the most definitive we've heard of anything, uh, you know, timeline wise of, of who it could be and when it could come. So we'll see. I, I think that's a, it's a very intriguing possibility. Uh, one that, like I said, very polarizing. I, I understand why there are some, some fans that would be a bit skeptical, but I also understand why people would be excited about that move. I'd be excited about it watching his tape, he can finish with either hand. And with the pieces that he would be with at Kentucky, those pieces that can stretch the floor, if we're talking about a Davion Mintz, that's another thing, too. Like, we, we have no idea. We, we assume Mintz is going to come back. I think that the move with Askew leaving kind of makes it seem like that that's a guy that will be on the roster. But when you have some pieces that can spread the floor, like a Dante Allen, Kellen Grady, you could see those that shooting percentage actually climb. Mm-hmm. for Marcus Carr with his ability. He, he gets downhill, uh, but I want to see, I want to see more t- tape of him. He looks like he's really good in pick and roll situations, middle ball screen. I like it because what guy are you going to go get from high school right now that can elevate you at that position? You, you can't lay it all on Nolan Hickman. You don't want to do that. You want Nolan Hickman kind of being, you, you want Nolan Hickman to do what Devin asked you should have been able to do this year. Mm-hmm which is come in and just spell a few minutes here and there and then be ready to kind of lead at that position with other transfers. Look, I think what this is going to signal now, Jack, is used to we kind of knew what Kentucky's incoming pieces would be by signing day and going into the spring because it was high school. Not not, not, not anymore. You're going to see it now. I think that it's going to be a, a roster and a program that's going to add at least – two, three, maybe even more pieces every single offseason from the portal. I think that's going to be what kind of levels and shifts this thing and the momentum back to the Carolinas, back to Duke, back to Kentucky, to Kansas. It was a weird year. I don't expect all those programs to not be good now. I mean, I do want to see what Hubert Davis does at North Carolina, but I expect the transfer portal, the Blue Bloods are going to benefit from it more so than anyone else, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree. we'll kind of start our our descent here into the end of the show um with the <laughs> with the with front court talk so we know Oscar Shibway is coming back we know that Jacob Toppin is returning he said that he he was on his Instagram page now we know that uh, after yesterday's news that Devin Askew's leaving you know we until it's official we can't really say it's official but the 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 expectation the whole time was that Jacob Toppin would be back so the only final pieces left to decide on are Isaiah Jackson uh, and Keon Brooks as the um, you know remaining pieces on this current roster and I think that will be a domino effect for what is to come in the you know transfer portal and all that there was a report from I believe Dan McDonald of rivals.com yesterday put out that uh, Kentucky is firmly in the mix for Walker Kessler, UNC transfer, McDonald's All-American, former five-star prospect, only averaged like five and five this past year. But uh, the people that the people that know their stuff are saying that Walker Kessler is going to be a star at the college level very soon. Think he's a can't miss pro- prospect. If you can get your hands on him, you do it. Uh, and I, I trust them wholeheartedly. I, you, you watch film on him, and, and at his best, 
Walker Kessler was an elite college basketball player. And I think when, when his role is expanded and he's, you know, able to take that next step, I, I genuinely think that he's, he would be a fantastic fit, but you look at this roster and you're like, where would a player like Walker Kessler fit on this roster as of right now? And I think that brings the next question of both Isaiah Jackson and Keon Brooks. So Isaiah is a player that we all kind of penciled in as a, uh, no chance. He's the one player on this team that deserves to leave. He worked his butt off. He showed off elite potential, did a lot of things that we've never seen a true freshman do at Kentucky. I mean, he, some of his blocks and dunks were just, just completely out of this world. Uh, And the expectation was he was going to be a lottery pick. And when that draft grade was kind of confirmed for him, he would sign with an agent and, and leave. And we are now what, three weeks after he put his name in the, in the draft without an agent. And instead of working out with high, you know, high level uh, trainers and, you know, out in LA or New York city or Miami or Dallas or one of these other big name places, Woodland park, baby, Woodland park, (laughs) baby. (laughs) He, He's just seemingly just refuses to leave Lexington. He, I think he likes it here. He does not seem like a player that's in any rush to leave this program. Oscar Sheway just posted pictures last night of him in a hotel with Jacob Toppin and Isaiah Jackson, the three of them hanging out in the hallway like, yeah, it's the front court trio. What's up? Come mess with us. And it's just like in a week before that, like you said, uh, he was seen with Jacob Toppin, Lance Ware, Dante Allen, and Zan Payne at Woodland Park playing pickup with a bunch of just random strangers in Lexington. Does that seem like a guy that's in any rush to leave the program? Well, the guys that you mentioned just then that were there with him are the guys that have said what? That they're coming back, confirmed. That they're coming back. And, you know, like I said, I'm I'm not going to buy into it too much until – Isaiah Jackson says it himself that he's going to come back and there's a press release and all this, but I think it's a breath of fresh air, if that makes sense. And I think the fans should look at it as a breath of fresh air because out of all the guys on their roster, he was the best NBA prospect by the end of the season. He should have been the one guy that said, Hey, I'm out closing this thing up. I've, I've done enough here, but he didn't come to Kentucky with the mindset that he was going to be a one and done Jack. And I think that that just shows you how, I don't want to uh, probably shouldn't use the word poisonous, but or that's poison or vent. Like it's just, it feels like when these kids come in with the mindset that they are done in one year, it does not matter how they perform. I think that that sets in their mind to the point that it is poison. And they're just like, you know what? I'm out of here. And that's their decision. But you got a kid like Isaiah Jackson who came in, thought he was on at least a two year trek, probably down through the program. But look what he did. He, developed and showcased his game on a team that wasn't very good. Had Kentucky been very good, I think Isaiah Jackson wouldn't even have a decision to make right now because I think it would have been a little higher. But when you look at this front court, Jack, and I just wrote down all the names, the fact that they're in the mix for Walker Kessler reportedly tells me that they're pursuing another front court option, which tells me someone else is leaving. That's just the way I'm looking because here's the names we got. Lance Ware, Bryce Hopkins, Jacob Toppin, Keon Brooks, Oscar Shibway, Damian Collins. Those are six front court names that you look at on next year's roster. If they're adding one, let's say Jackson still leaves. If they're adding one, that's seven. Are all those guys coming back? I do not see it. No, and the, the, I'll tell you the one that I'm the most confident. Obviously, Damian Collins will be there. Oscar Shibway will be there. Jacob Toppin's the most confident one to me to say that I don't think he's going anywhere because he was supposed to be a what anyhow, a project. Yeah. I don't see him going anywhere. But I'm just, and then Hopkins, we know, is coming in. I'm just looking at it. If they go add another front court piece, does Lance Ware look and say, ah, maybe, maybe I want to go somewhere? Or what happens with Keon Brooks? I just feel like that if they're trying to add another piece there, someone is going to feel maybe they should go somewhere else. That's why I want to wait and see who all they add and then kind of look at this by addition, by subtraction. But 
I hope nobody leaves because I do think there's some people there in pieces that are going to be developmental pieces when they get to junior year that could be very solid pillars of the program. But you're talking about life now where you want to be able to play right away because everybody's on a fast track to get to the pros, whether that be the NBA or overseas. You want to put yourself in position to provide for your family. And if basketball is that option, you want to kind of speed up the process regardless of what level you play at. Yeah, going back just just a touch for uh, with Isaiah Jackson, his dad in in, in interview with um, Kyle Tucker said, "It's not about income. Me and his mom have been working for years, and if I have to work another year or two, it's no skin off my bones." And we had to let him know that to take the pressure off of him. I can wait. Cal told him, if you come back, do it with a purpose. Do it because you're committed to getting better and you want to fight your butt off, win us a bunch of games, and leave no doubt that you're a top five guy. When you hear that, you have to consider it. And then it mentioned later in the interview that uh, that he genuinely believes that his son is a top five talent in, in the draft. So uh, I, I went and kind of did – looked up all of the mock drafts, the big boards, all that, those sorts of things. He's rated as high as number 11 on ESPN. Uh, and among the major outlets, I believe the athletic has him the lowest at number 20, even though like NBA draft room and draft.net and some of the other, you know, not very reliable websites have him, you know, 25, 26, 27 or whatever. But I think his sweet spot right now is at 11 to 20, which in most cases, that's a, you know, punch your ticket. You're going to the NBA. Congrats. You know, have a good life. But they keep throwing around that top five phrase that they think that he could be a top five player in next year's draft. And I think next year's draft is going to be infinitely weaker than this year's. I think this year is, you know, the Jalen Greens of the world, J- Jonathan Kaminga's, Cade Cunningham's, Jalen Suggs, those types. There was no chance that that Isaiah Jackson was going to ever be a top – Evan Mobley. There's no chance that he was going to be a top five pick. I think the top five has been set for a full year now, and, and there was nothing Isaiah Jackson could have done this year to change that. But you look at next year's class, and I think there is genuine room for improvement up to that top five status. And we, we mentioned this talking about BJ Boston. Little did we know that we'd be having the same conversation about the player we all just assume was a guarantee to leave. But if he gets that number 20 overall grade and he's sitting firmly outside the lottery, you know, even 19, 18, 17, whatever, and he looks at that and goes, I'm a top five draft pick. I know I can be top five. That's a that's a twenty million dollar difference between those two those two draft slots. Now it's there's not much of a difference between uh, you know twenty and fourteen or seventeen and fourteen if he's just all he cares about is that lottery and that might be reason you know there'd be it'd be stupid of him to come back if, if that's all he cares about. But if he genuinely has that top five top ten number in his mind, there's there's good reason for him to come back and he can make himself a lot of money. We already know what he's able to bring to the table. If his floor is what he did as a freshman, he's already a lot, he's already a lottery, a lottery pick going into next year. All he can do at this point is improve and become reach that top 10 status, top five status. I think it would be a, a, I wouldn't blame him in the slightest to, to officially leave, but man, the thought of him coming back and kind of anchoring that front court alongside Oscar Sheboy and with defensive presence, man, I mean, Holy crap. And and that's the one thing that I don't want to get lost in all this is we spend a ton talking offense because that's obviously the one thing that Kentucky needed to add was just shooting and things to be a better offensive team. You don't want to lose sight of how good they are and how good they have been defensively under John Calipari. And I expect them to be good defensively regardless of what happens with the rest of this roster. And I, I think that you know, obviously, Isaiah Jackson would definitely anchor that. And then you have Damian Collins, who you expect to be an elite rim protector as well. Uh, but just looking at the roster, let's just let's just assume for the fun of it, Jack, that Davion Mintz is in the fold and comes back. I think we're we're kind of to a point to where I think we would be would we be surprised if he didn't, honestly? I think I'm getting closer to that point where it's like a 75-25 return. That's me. I yeah. would set it 80-20 yeah. in my mind. I just I just see a path where he's there. If he's not, then I think Kentucky ends up adding two backcourt pieces 
either one from the portal, one high school. Uh, but let's just say that he's there. And then let's just, for the fun of it, say Keon Brooks has made his decision and said that he's coming back. That's 10 roster pieces right now with Damian Collins, Oscar Sheboy, Keon Brooks, Jacob Toppin, Bryce Hopkins, Lance Ware, and then the four backcourt pieces, Kellen Grady, Dante Allen, Davion Mintz, Nolan Hickman. There's still three spots there to add. <laughs> you Obviously, you look at the makeup of that roster, four guys that play on the perimeter, the attention is going to go to the backcourt. That's where I was coming from. If they add another front court piece, someone is going to feel, the, to me, the pressure to leave, if that makes sense at all. I just think that that's a lot of bodies in the front court. But do they, do they even add a high school guy? Like, I, I think I could see them adding three more pieces. Yeah. But somebody else would have to leave Jack for they get to that point. I think most likely scenario would be that they add two more guys to this roster from the portal. It gets to three if somebody surprises you and says they're going to transfer, like a, either a Keon Brooks or somebody comes out and decides that they're not going to come back. But with those 10 guys, you add Marcus Carr to at 11, and then you just go add another piece to get you to 12. I don't know if Cal takes and fills it out with 13. Maybe he does go get someone in high school or something like that, just to kind of be a developmental piece there. But uh, backcourt is where they need a point guard, just looking at that. I, I think that there needs to be a clear ball-dominant guard who will run the show 85% of the time, and then you let somebody else slide over and run it in a pinch, let Nolan Hickman get some minutes here and there. But I, th I think that's the one thing that stands out to me. And we know who it's not going to be. Sky Clark announces this afternoon that he is sticking with the class of 2022. Uh, I the right decision. I personally think it is the absolute best decision. If I am Coach Cal, I don't touch the class. Uh, reclass point guards with a 10-foot pole, especially reclass point guards that you expect to be the leader of your – you know, I think – if if you're bringing Sky in to be, you know, hey, you're not going to be the, um, the, you know, you're not going to run the show from day one. Just, you know, come in, learn the program, learn, uh, you know, learn the system, you know, get a, get familiar with the facilities. That'd be one thing. But Sky Clark isn't coming in to be a bench warmer, sit around and, and waste a year, essentially. He's – He's coming into play, and I think it's best for everybody to get him another developmental development year, um, get back to the high school level. You know, he's kind of been back and forth with where he's going to high school and how, you know, he ended his season early this past year due, due to COVID and all that. Um, there's a lot, you know, he's probably going to end up at another high school next season, depending on, um, you know, what's the right fit for him there. So there's just a lot up in the air with Sky Clark. I just think that's a lot to bring to the table this coming season for Kentucky. I just, I just always thought that it would be, it's the it'd, right be move. For, it'd be best for him to stick around, develop, develop one more year at the high school level before making the jump. It, it's absolutely the right move to stay in 22. And if I'm John Calipari, I'm happy that he's staying there because that's your, your building block. That's your piece to build your class around and, and everything. You, you already have a point guard locked in with you. And he'll hopefully for Cal, he signs in the fall. And then you've got that going all the way through next season. And that's the thing. You, you want that piece to jumpstart your class. And I think that's why it's important to stay there because that's the thing, right? Scott Clark is going to be good, but you don't want to have to rely on a reclass again. You want to go out and it's better to get a one-year filler from a grad transfer or a transfer that has experience, in my opinion, to kind of bridge that gap to get to Scott Clark in that class. And then, uh, we'll see what Kentucky does with the rest of that class. I think that's going to be an interest interesting thing to watch, right? Because they haven't been able to evaluate. In-person evaluation's not there. So offers might be a little slower getting out, Jack, than they have been in the past. Yeah. We saw this past year that that Cal was very stingy about who he offered and when he offered. And that's always that's always been kind of Cal's – the one thing that people kind of judged him for is is – that he was just so slow to make final decisions on offers. And, um, you know, there are people that thought that Sky Clark could have been committed to Kentucky five months in advance before he actually ended up being committed. And, uh, you know, he was ready to pull the, pull the trigger. Jaden Bradley was ready to pull the trigger there for a minute. And, uh, you know, they kind of slow played him. And it, that, that's just kind of been a, a frustration for fans is why, you know, why, why not cast a wide 
a wide net and you know you don't have to accept their commitment immediately if you're you know wanting to kick the can down the road or wait to see development or whatever it, do, it doesn't it, like that Trevor Keel situation what would it have hurt Kentucky to offer him back in October or you know whatever that case is you know just a couple months in it leading up to you know you offer him in January and he's ready to commit a month or two later like that's he he was never going to come to Kentucky that just never was a, a feasible option it was kind of just a last ditch effort and it just almost makes you look worse at the end of the day even offering him in, at all when you try to come in late it, it just feels like you're you're a step behind the competition I just I never understood that but yeah I, I think this is going to be a very uh interesting next couple of weeks I, I think the Isaiah Jackson decision is one to keep a close eye on Keon Brooks that's I think it's going to be a domino effect uh, effect I don't see Isaiah Jackson I don't see Keon Brooks on the roster if Isaiah Jackson comes back I don't see uh you know Keon Brooks staying if they sign a Walker Kessler or something like that I, I think there's just a bunch of more uh, you know Lance Ware if he stays if they add another piece or two there's just a lot of domino uh, affect pieces I think that are that we're going to find out here in the next couple of weeks that could really still kind of shift the landscape of college basketball really I mean if UK signs a Walker Kessler or a Marcus Carr I mean I do think that they're already in that 15 to 20 range and most of these way too early uh, preseason polls I wouldn't be shocked if they, if they add one or two more big name pieces like that they jump back in the into the top sure. top five contention they're they're top 10 if they add an elite point guard like an elite point, and I'm I'm talking, you know, Marcus Carr. Like I consider that to be elite, considering what they're going to have or what they had. And then if you go out and get one of the top transfers, and you add another piece, I could see them getting to number eight, nine, ten, eleven. If Isaiah Jackson comes back, then you t- then you're talking top five, in my opinion. Like Kentucky's not going to have a non-win season next year. It's going to be better, but I want to wait and see how they piece this out before I'm ready to just crown them a Final Four contender again. I want to see what the entire completed roster looks like from top to bottom uh, across the board. I want to see how much is skill set valued and things like that because Cal's best teams play seven to eight guys. And I'd like to be able to look at this roster in July and say that I already see those seven to eight guys. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's the winner. That's what it ended up being this past year, even though it was too little too late when they he kind of found that seven, eight man rotation. Uh I, I think it's it's this is we said it over and over again. This is John Calipari's most important offseason. He just has to get has to get it right. Has to these next two one to two pieces that he adds to the program have to be just absolutely perfect fits for what else is coming back. Uh, I mean, and I guess that's just the nature of the beast whenever you have a revolving door at the program where it's just constant turnover, constant movement that, you know, you got to figure out perfect fits and, and the, the, you know, perfect pieces to, to fit alongside the, who else you have in the, on the roster. But this is a big one. I think these next couple of weeks are going to be absolutely massive for uh, just kind of determining if this is going to be a serious title contender let's you know let's roll the balls out and let's let's do this thing or if they're going to be in that 15 to 20 range where it's like well it's obviously a a step in the right direction but uh not not the contenders uk fans are hoping for i think we will learn that here in in the next couple weeks but uh yeah it's it's going to be a lot of fun and we look forward to following along with it uh sean is there anything else you want to touch on before we call it a show yeah, I just want to talk about how dominant Baylor was last night before we wrap this thing up. I just Ooh. that's just something quick I want to add because we've spent a ton of time in the last few months talking about offense and offense and offense, but there's something to be said too about how suffocating Baylor made it last night and the way that they rebound and the way that they defend and four guys in position to help at all times. It was beautiful to see in a day where modern basketball and stuff, you know, it dominates the conversation. It was very, very – I'll say a breath of fresh air to see that. Did you see just how hard that they played? You Like, you can have all the talent in the world, Jack, but when you have guys that play as hard as Baylor did, that 
had they not had their COVID pause, there would have been an undefeated national champion. That, that would, yeah, and I, it would have been Baylor. And kudos to Scott Drew and what he what he has built there at Baylor. That's a program that was in the NIT final just a couple of years ago. Sheesh. And now you're looking at what they've done, a national championship. It's a program to watch out for. I think you're you're obviously going to see them continue. That that's a program that's going to be just continuing to get better. And I'm going to go ahead and make an early prediction: Kentucky, Baylor, Big Twelve SEC challenge this year, either at Waco or in Rupp Arena. I think that's the prediction I'm making. That'd be a lot of fun, man. That'd be a blast. You know, that's what they're going to do. They did it with Texas Tech, sent Kentucky to Lubbock the year after they played in the title game. Whoever's the hot team in the Big Twelve outside of Kansas, that's who they give Kentucky. And we didn't see Kentucky-Texas this year, and I, I think it will be. I think they're, you're going to see Kentucky-Baylor play very soon. So we're road tripping to Waco, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I Stopping completely. at every Whataburger on the way. <laughs> I completely agree. All right, Sean, let's get that out of here. Uh, where can fans find your work? You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. You can find me on Twitter as well at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for another jam packed Sources Say podcast. We will see you.